Hello, everyone. Sophia here with a quick announcement before today's episode. We now have a website. It's pilgrimsoulpodcast.com. We've got some information about the podcast, an archive of all of our previous weekly challenges, and links to our media recommendations, and also a way to donate if you'd like to support the work that goes into producing and publishing the show. All right, that's all. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Sophia, and I'm delighted to have two guests on today's episode, Maggie Verheyle and Tierney Verdoliak. Maggie is a labor and delivery nurse, and Tierney trained as a teacher, but both of them will be entering the Sisters of Life this fall, probably by the time that this episode is released. So I'm excited to talk to them today about the sacredness of human life, and how each one of us is called to participate in building a culture of life. So Maggie and Tierney, welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you for having us. Thank you, Sophia. So I'm grateful that you're joining me today. I've I've known each of you for a while now as I attended high school with Maggie and university with Tierney. Um, but I was, yeah, blown away when I learned about your discernment and especially the fact that you'd be entering and beginning your postulancy together. For our listeners who don't know the Sisters of Life, they're a religious community of women um, based in New York who, along with vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, take a fourth vow to, if I if I get this right, protect and enhance the sacredness of human life. Yeah, so they're just beautiful witnesses to the gospel, and I'm excited to dive into their charism. But as usual with our interviews, I would like to start with a little bit of background. So would each of you share a few words about who you are and what path led you to where you are now on the threshold of, of entering religious life. Tierney, if you'd like to share. Sure. And then follow after. Okay, Maggie. Firstly, Sophia. Yeah. I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to be with you all today and yeah, just be led by where the Holy spirit has us all in our lives. So yeah, like Sophia said, I attended university at um, Notre Dame and had just the amazing opportunity to study theology. And um, this came after I was able to serve as a music minister for high school students. Um, and this is called Notre Dame Vision, really an opportunity for uh, high schoolers to encounter the sacraments, to hear stories of grace, um, to just share in community where the Lord is leading them, how they hear and, and respond to the call of disciple. And um, through this experience, I really was opened up to see how the Lord is calling me to minister to his children, particularly. Um, I've always, always loved being around younger people. And um, yeah, as Christ shares with us in the gospel, the little children um, can see and experience in ways that oftentimes we as adults can have like the veil over our eyes. And so um, mm. I, yeah, I was really grateful for that opportunity and vision, which allowed me to enter into the liturgical choir and to study theology, as well as um, a great books program, just learning who we are as human persons. And to, to ask the questions, yeah, why, who am I? Why am I? And how am I called to, to serve in light of who I am? Yeah, over time, especially through just through relationships of being with such beautiful men and women, I was able to listen more and more to the Lord's call directly for me to be 
with him and to be among so many. So after um, college, I uh, served as a teacher in um, the ECHO program, which uh, is a two-year commitment of uh, studying theology and then being placed anywhere kind of in the United States as a theology teacher or as a, a minister in a college campus and parish. So I had the opportunity to teach theology among sixth, seventh, and eighth grade students in Indianapolis. Yeah, where Maggie actually was in a hospital not too far away Amazing. from me, but we didn't know each other. Yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord. <laughs> so um, yeah, through this time with the children, I just heard the call to spiritual motherhood, just attending to each particular individual mm. and knowing that that person is so loved, so desired and so called to God in a particular way. And then, yeah, multiply that by each person in your classroom at any given time. Wow. Yeah, the Lord just kind of expanded my heart. And so I uh, heard of the sisters through a Sikh conference and at an SLS as well. So, yeah, just through these alleyways, I had the opportunity to see the gift of the charism of life. And, yeah, just how my heart is drawn to serve in that way. Mm. Thank you. Beautiful. What about you, Maggie? Oh, wow. So yeah, what a journey the Lord has brought me on. Um, I would have never anticipated myself entering religious life three years ago. Um, you know, I had my plan for my life. I was going to be a labor and delivery nurse for the rest of my life and have a big family. Um, you know, marry a St. Joseph. I had all these plans (laughs) and, And, you know, like when you tell the Lord your plans, he laughs because he knows that he has way greater plans for our lives. Hmm. I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, and with six siblings, currently have 10 nieces and nephews. So that's kind of where the, the, big, Amazing. the big family comes from. Um, yeah, I went to Marion University and studied nursing and throughout nursing school. I remember being so drawn to the pro-life movement and so drawn to um, empowering women. I was a resident assistant for a couple of my years there. And, you know, I just, I loved being a mother to women who were honestly like around my age or a little younger, being able to encounter them and love them. And, you know, that was something I noticed and was a little bit distracting in nursing school because I knew I have to be studying Mm. up to, you know, late hours of the night. But I also just want to like sit in my room and just be with my residents and love them and hear their hearts. Yeah. And yeah, it came to my junior year and I was in my maternity clinical and I knew, you know, okay, labor and delivery, that's, that's the dream job. That's where the Lord's asking me to be. And so I followed through, I got an externship in labor and delivery as a student and then went on to be a nurse on that floor. Um, But it was my senior year of college where one of my friends was going on a trip to New York to see the sisters of life, to go on a come and see. Dangerous. (laughs) Right. (laughs) To go on a come and see with them. And we were in a casual conversation and she invited me to come along with her, you know, Mm -hmm. go to a Broadway show, see the historical sites in New York. You know, I'm all about it. And a retreat, I mean, harmless. Um, But I knew going into that retreat, I'm not discerning religious life. I'm not really open to religious life. I don't really want to go to religious life. I don't really want to be in it. Yeah. And I was pretty set, you know, I knew what the Lord's plan was for my life, clearly. And um, on the way there, I remember telling Jesus, I know that you're just going to affirm my call to marriage, affirm my call to family life. 
And then we can forget that this weekend even happened. (laughs) And when I arrived, you know, the sisters come running out in their beautiful habits. They were navy blue and white. And from the very beginning, I was just in awe of their beauty, their youth, their joy. Mm. Um, And it it radiated through the windows of the car. (laughs) I didn't even have to open the door yet. (laughs) I don't know if Sophia, if you've met them, but obviously tyranny, (laughs) tyranny knows of just, yeah, their beauty because they're so in love with Christ. Mm. I actually didn't know who they were when I went um, and they started sharing about their charism, upholding the sacredness of human life, um, walking with women and pregnancies vulnerable to abortion Mm -hmm. and, you know, being there, a spiritual mother to them and loving them. Mm -hmm. And my heart was just like pounding out of my chest, just like, this is what I'm made for. You know, the charism at least is what I'm made for. Yeah. But again, you know, I'm not called a religious life, but I'm called to live out this charism, you know, and I went into adoration and just asked Jesus, why did you bring me here? Mm -hmm. You know, why did you bring me here to this place that I don't desire, you know? Um, And he just said, would you give your life up for me? Like I've given mine up for you. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was in that moment that my hardened heart that came into that retreat was just like broken open. And I knew how selfish I was being. I was holding back from what the Lord actually wanted for me because I had all my plans. Um, Yeah. And in that moment, he just gave me the courage to say yes to him in whatever direction he wanted to bring me. So now it's two and a half years later and here we are entering, yeah, the sisters of life. So incredible. Yeah. So many good things. Thank you. Um, I mean, I think we could spend the rest of the episode just talking about your respective journeys and everything that, yeah, that the Lord has done already in your lives, let alone what is to come. But as I was listening to you both, one of the things that struck me was this movement from receiving the love of God to a new intensity of desire and a new capacity to share it with others. This recognition that at the origin of it all is discovering who God says we are. Um, It reminds me of a quote from Pope St. John Paul II that I would keep on my wall in college in every room that I lived in, which you're probably familiar with, but the we are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures, but the sum of the Father's love for us and our real capacity to become the image of his Son. Um, so the fact that we're created in the image of God and that we can be conformed to Christ by his grace, that this is the certainty about who we are that gives rise to the burning desire that you both shared to be spiritual mothers, to look upon others with love and mercy and to bring this same love to them. So I guess in view of this mystery and this movement um, from receiving to becoming a vessel of God's love, how would you define a culture of life? Like what does a culture of life have to do with this truth of who who the human person is? I would say, Sophia, stemming from that beautiful quote that you just shared with us, reminds me of, I think this might be a letter from St. John that says, uh, we love because Christ first loved us. So Mm. the origin is that love that has already and from eternity been shared and shown to us. As you said, we we are vessels of this love which has been poured into us by the Lord and will be given back to him time and time again when we are open to just the Lord filling us. So a culture of life, 
when you think about a culture, I am, I'm no scientist. I know, Sophia, you might know more of this analogy. <laughs> I do. So we'll see how far this goes. But if I remember correctly, uh, a culture is um, kind of like a little vessel in which there are like organisms in a certain uh, space that are left to their own devices to interact in this little like sphere. Mm-hmm. So when I think about a culture of life <laughs> in that little way and like expanding that to the human person, a culture is a community. It is the space in which real growth and love can occur mm. in a place people are all being prompted by the Lord to respond in a way that is fruitful, faithful, and full and free. So a culture of life is all of these things for the sake Mm. of the glory of God and the glory of each particular human person, because we believe we'll see the fullness of the Lord and he desires our wholeness and our holiness. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. The glory of God is man fully alive. Absolutely. Yeah. Maggie, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I think just speaking into that, that it's, it's a community, but it's not going to be a fruitful community if there is not love between each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it really starts with this love and like that is what becomes fruitful. You know, that is how it remains faithful is that love remains within it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if these people are exactly alike or, you know, these people even like each other sometimes that like it's, it's living out of love and serving out of love for each other Mm -hmm. without looking inward and without ever looking back at yourself, but always looking outward at the community. Mm -hmm. I love how you shared, Maggie, that love is giving, like it's in giving that we receive. As St. Francis says, love is self-sacrificial. And it sounded like, Maggie, from part of your vocation story that you shared, like the Lord calls us to be with him upon the cross because it is through the cross that is our hope. It is Mm -hmm. suffering in love that we are just transfigured more and more to his image and after his likeness. It is really through our woundedness that we are healed, um, that we can walk with each person in our midst, whether they are, you know, a woman who is considering abortion, a woman who has suffered Mm. loss of her child, just anyone we encounter in, in the city of New York or otherwise, it's suffering in love. Uh, and we cannot discount mm-hmm. we cannot discount the experiences of the human person, but really ponder in our hearts what, as Mary did, what this could mean and what this might be. Mm. Tierney, all I can think about is a laboring woman. Um, I mean, it must be my labor and delivery brain, but just a laboring woman, you know, suffering in order to bring life into the world. Yeah. Like what what an image of love that a woman can house a child. And then give birth to this child only through suffering, you know, only through giving up her own body, giving up herself. Um, can that child have life? Yeah. And how radical, you know, as you, you're you both speaking about the medium, that's what we'd call it in a cell culture, but the environment that we're living in, the atmosphere that we're breathing, the patterns of relationship that we observe around us it's contrary to this self-giving love that you're talking about. You know, we're faced with a culture that fosters 
individualism and sort of a selfishness that places my own needs above those of others and condemns people who are transparently dependent as just burdensome and places an excessive focus on our own pleasure and our material possessions and the ability to dominate one another. Um, So it strikes me that the mentality that surrounds us has a false understanding of the human person that wouldn't see in this mystery, Maggie, that you're talking about with the laboring woman, wouldn't see that as the fulfillment of who we are, right? Because she's not, you know, controlling her body. She's not focused on achieving and producing and her own self in that moment, but on the child that that she's giving herself to. Yeah, and it reminds me of what Pope Francis says about the throwaway culture, the fact that we live in an environment in which it's okay to discard people and things when they become broken or fragile or um, or vulnerable in any way. So it's beautiful to see how you emphasize these elements of our communal nature and our desire for meaning and suffering and our interdependence and, and these things as not obstacles, but actually the path to living a really human life. Um, so I guess, would you agree with that sort of diagnosis of where we are in our culture? And where do you think that this throwaway culture is threatening us most strongly? Or where have you experienced it in your own life as well, this temptation to to a culture of death, as, as St. John Paul II would call it? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it attacks the human person in and of itself and saying, you aren't made in God's image and you don't, you are not valuable. I think that that is where it all begins, is that if you can't see yourself as valuable, how are you supposed to see anyone else as valuable? Mm. How is a woman supposed to value her child when she doesn't even value her own life? And I think that's that's where it comes into this compassion, this love toward each other so that we can empower each other to see our worth, um, if not for what we've done, if not for what we can do or will do, it's because we are made in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. And that alone is enough. Our culture makes it really hard to be okay with, I can't run, I can't do this, I can't you know, have a child, I can't, I'm not very good at this. I will never be smart enough for this. Mm. And that means I'm worthless. Mm. Um, And it's kind of like this darkness that penetrates over some people, over a lot of people to say, you're never going to be good enough for that. You will never do that. When really we have to shine light on that saying, no, whatever it is that you are wanting to do, we can empower you to do that. And like, even if you can't, you still have value. Yeah. So reminding people of that. I think is kind of where it begins. Um, And we have to see it in ourselves. We have to remind our own families of it as well. Mm -hmm. This dignity. Absolutely. What about you, Tierney? On on what Maggie had to say, our identity stems even before what we do. Our identity stems from who we are in our very being. And Sophia, you alluded to um, and spoke of, yeah, how our current culture is very much more so focused on us as human doings rather than human beings. Mm. When we recognize like you are beloved, you are daughter, you are son. What does God, who does God say that I am? Who do those who I love say who I am in light of God's love? That is who you are. Yeah. What what we do flows from our understanding of our being. Yeah. Yeah, very true. I mean, a beautiful mystery that you're talking about that really has the power to change 
each individual life and our whole society. Like if we could learn this, just how much would change? Like this is the peace that we're longing for, the justice that we're fighting for, the personal fulfillment and the relationships that we long for. But but you can't like get that in the abstract. Like it's not enough to hear you're created in the image of God to really believe and know it and like let it sink into your bones and like really fill you. Um, and I know, you know, in my own personal journey, just the struggles and the constant temptation and the need for a reminder of who I really am, especially, you know, at the start of my my journey of conversion and, and giving my life over to Christ. But still, every day, um, I need to have the Father speak to me again the words of who I am. So I guess as we're thinking about then sharing this truth, living from this truth in a way that it penetrates the hearts of others, what helps you in that what about you know the sacraments or scripture or community or what are these tangible places that this truth reaches you in a compelling way in a way that changes you and really lets you lets you know it's truth I mean I would definitely say like you said Sophia like going to mass receiving the sacrament of reconciliation Mm. you know being reminded that whatever you've done the Lord can wipe away and forgive you and love you. And even through the sin, you know, he still loves you. Yeah. If you haven't been to reconciliation in a while, like go and run because he loves you and whatever you've done, it's never big enough. You know, it's never big enough for the father not to forgive you. Yeah. So, I mean, I would, I would definitely say the sacraments adoration. Yeah. I recently did a consecration, a father, Michael Gately consecration, 33 days to greater glory a consecration to the father through the gospel of John. Beautiful. And yeah, one of the lines particularly that always stands out to me in John is you are my beloved daughter with who I am well pleased and reflecting on that. I mean, I can reflect on that for a year, um, but like what that means and finding my value in that rather than, you know, it's so tempting to find my value in what I can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about, you know, I think it's a struggle for all of us, but I definitely find myself in weeks where I'm like, who am I? Yeah. <laughs> who am I? I just have to be reminded. So yeah. yeah, being in front of Jesus in the Eucharist, I think is the most powerful way to be reminded. Yeah. Because what greater sign and like means of achieving what you're made for, which is intimacy with God. It takes my breath away every time I actually like remember what it is that we're invited to every time we become the dwelling place of God and that that's what we're made for for eternity yeah it's stunning Tierney what about you yeah so some things that Maggie was just sharing I, I'd love to echo just returning again mm-hmm. again to the source of love um, Jesus and Eucharist and just listening to him and being with him in the sounds and the stillness of the chapel or wherever you're able to to be present with him. Um, yeah, I would say also, uh, Sophia, you said the word let. I think that is definitely a key, is letting love lead you. Uh, as, yeah, the podcast of the Sisters of Life is aptly titled Let Love. <laughs> yes. mm. each, each episode is like, let love lead, let love offer himself, let love X, Y, Z. And it's all about our hearts just being opened to being transformed rather than Mm. like the posture of grasping, right? It's like plucking fruit before due season um, and desiring to be God without God. 
Whereas I think of like the image of receiving the Lord in the Eucharist, our hands are, are opened and outstretched. It's kind of like the opposite of that grasping. It's like, mm. just let love flow into our hands, into our yeah. hearts, into our very bodies so that we can give that back. And this posture of openness is, um, is very radical for our society, right? Because we um, think we have what it takes. Yeah. yeah. It's just like a self-seeking and a constant, yeah, quote unquote, progression to the next thing. There's always a focus on what are you doing next? Like, and this can leave us oftentimes just feeling defeated, downtrodden, um, actually mm. more so than, than if we hadn't um, sought in that way. So just to be open and, and listen, even when other people like other friends, or if you encounter someone in line at the grocery store and you are just able and willing to speak with another person, to see each other face to face, like just in that gaze, um, mm. oftentimes we, we know, yes, I matter because I am, I matter. And because you are, you are a gift and I love you. Yes. It's beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah, I love that that formulation, kind of flipping Descartes on his head. Not I think, therefore I am, but I am, therefore I am loved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it strikes me that this characterization of the posture of receptivity and its relationship to the culture of life, like I think this perfectly describes the sisters of life and in why they are so effective as witnesses to the gospel of life and instruments of the gospel of life because they're not activists, you know, they're not bringing their own abilities and energies and and returning to their own strength and their own foundation to fix the suffering and the difficulties of the people who they're accompanying, let alone their own difficulties and suffering, which continue, you know, just because you enter doesn't mean your problems go away. Yeah. So I really loved that vision of, of hands outstretched to receive. And for me, this raises the question of why the sisters are not just active, but also contemplative. So for our listeners Mm -hmm. who aren't familiar with religious life, there's generally a distinction, um, which can look different from order to order, but there's generally a distinction between active orders that have an apostolate in the world that are usually, you know, teaching or in healthcare or something like this, and those that are contemplative and withdrawn from the world in order to devote themselves more deeply to a life of prayer and interceding for precisely for the world that they've withdrawn from for the sake of the world. Um, And the sisters of life have this interesting blend of active and contemplative where they do spend many hours a day in prayer, both communally and privately, even as they're also, as we've talked about doing these amazing apostolates among women who are suffering and those who are vulnerable in any number of ways. So um, yeah, what about this blend of active and contemplative attracts you? And in your own life, how do you already sort of live this this flow to and from prayer? Like what is it about that that enables you, that sustains your life in the world? Well, I mean, I when I think about this, I just go back to um, Cardinal O'Connor, the founder of the Sisters of Life. First of all, him spending so much time in prayer before he started the Sisters of Life, mm. but also recognizing that this um, lack of the sacredness of human life, you know, this almost hatred toward life cannot be cast out by just doing things. Yeah. Like it has to be cast out. It's a demon that has to be cast out with prayer. And, and that's, that's from scripture. That's from Mark. This is what Cardinal O'Connor 
said when he started the Sisters of Life is it has to be a contemplative active order because everything they do comes from prayer. Mm. And I think something else that comes up, which I actually grabbed, is the litany of trust. Mm, yeah. Which goes right along with, you know, what the sisters strive to be. And that is they open their arms out to Jesus and they say, use us however you will. And how are you supposed to know what Jesus is asking you to do if you're not going to prayer and asking him? In dialogue. Yeah. I, th- I think if they just kind of went out and did whatever they wanted to do, it would not be from the Holy Spirit. It'd be from whatever they wanted to do, they'd be running in circles and getting nowhere. Mm. So it, it has to be focused on ultimately their prayer life um, and trusting that they'll be led where they should go, um, open convents where they need to be and serve the women who, you know, show up at their door, who hopefully were guided, you know, will be guided from the Holy Spirit. So another um, Cardinal O'Connor quote that struck me in addition to just a little glimpse into his life that Maggie shared The first retreat I went on with the sisters, um, which was actually with Maggie and a few other women who we'll be entering with this fall, I remembered that on the wardrobe, there was a lovely photo frame and inside the photo frame was a quote. uh, And this quote was, there can be no sister of life without joy. Mm, Yes. And a psalm that I've been reflecting on at that time or a psalm verse was uh, Psalm 34, uh, look to him that you may be radiant with joy, that you may not blush with shame. And so we cannot go outward unless we first look within and unless we first recognize the Lord is upon us first. Look to him that you can be radiant with joy. And like Maggie was sharing, just encountering a sister of life, you, you just see that their eyes are alive, like their eyes I don't know who said it, but the eye is the gateway to the soul. The sisters can see you and they know you and love you. And you are the only person in the world. Mm. And as St. Mother Teresa said, if she did not first pick up um, and attend to that single person on the streets of Calcutta, then maybe she would not have or she could not have encountered those thousands of people after. So in this way, um, for the Lord to look upon us first, and then forced to then go, just like the orientation of the mass, we come to the Lord. And the last thing we are encouraged to do is go and spread the gospel by your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I realize words that we say about this will always just be inadequate. You mm-hmm. know, I, only ever just an invitation for people to discover this mystery in their own lives. Um, but I really appreciate what each of you are saying, because I think it orients us correctly towards the nature of prayer and the purpose of prayer. And it reminds me, I don't remember who's made this comparison, but I remember this line that those who are called to religious life are invited to go directly to the fountain of life to slake their thirst. But it's a thirst that every human being has. And so drinking deeply from that fountain through these long hours of prayer and meditation, and as you spoke about the the liturgy of the hours, the prayer of the church and, and the sacraments, and then being able to help others discover this wellspring and speak the words of life to the people who are also thirsting for the very same things. And so there's something very mysterious about how the deepest desires of our own hearts, it's in experiencing their fulfillment that actually we become the instrument of that for others, um, which is beautiful. And 
really reminds me of what you both touched on in, in your introductions, which is this call to spiritual motherhood. Yeah, this call to participate in God's creative work by by giving your lives away so that others might have life. So I guess I would ask, how do the sisters understand spiritual motherhood? Is this something that Cardinal O'Connor talked about? And um, where specifically does it show up in the apostolates in more tangible and concrete ways? So um, from the constitutions of, of the sisters that we had the opportunity um, while on some retreats of engaging with it's clear that the call to spiritual maternity is a reflection of the life of Mary. Mm. So um, Mary is our model. She, as the receiver and then bearer of God, yeah, we first encounter Mary receiving the word from the angel Gabriel in prayer, herself in prayer, and responding with her fiat, with her yes. Yeah. Cardinal O'Connor reflects time and again, especially on three particular mysteries in the life of Mary, the Annunciation, the Visitation, and the Coronation. Uh, yeah, Maggie, if you if you wanted to share anything further on, on the Cardinal in those ways or others. Yes, yeah. So I think one particular story stands out when I think about the spiritual motherhood of the sisters and something that in my own heart I've desired for years and not knowing really what it was. Um, you know, I think all women have some kind of desire for a certain kind of motherhood, but spiritual motherhood is very specific and it's very real. Um, and the sisters talked about it as we were on retreat. And one of the stories they told was um, one time they went to an airport and they're all getting out of the car and some woman runs across the airport toward these sisters and then gets to them and just hugs one of them and just starts bawling. Um, and she's laying on her shoulder and she's bawling. Oh, wow. And, you know, they just said, like, you know, what can we do for you? Like, how can we help you? What's going on? And, um, yeah, it happened that she was running away from an abusive relationship. And um, as she's hugging one of the sisters, you know, they asked her more questions and she was pregnant. And she's like, either like, why did you run to us? And she said, well, I mean, your sisters, your sisters. I just I knew I could trust you. Mm. And they said, do you know, do you know who we are? No. She's like, no, I have no idea. <laughs> Your sisters. And they said, we're the sisters of life. Oh my gosh. Like we care for women who are in pregnancies, pregnancies that they don't have a support system. They don't have someone around to be with them anyway. So then they're all crying. They're all just like rejoicing over this, um, this woman that came to them. But that story particularly touched my heart because I mean, that that's it. That's it right there. That Someone can see you across an airport, you know, they can see you in any place knowing I can go to her and trust her because she receives all of her love from Christ himself. Yeah. And I mean, that, that is spiritual motherhood. It's just being an image of Christ for others. So they have a soft place to land, mm -hmm. you know, so they have, they have a maternal heart that they can go to. Mm -hmm. This is spiritual motherhood. I mean, I think going into their charism specifically in what they do a way that their spiritual mothers is living among women who are in these pregnancies and serving them, loving them, making dinner for them, having a clean place for them to stay, having beds for them to lay on, making their beds well, just creating a home for these women mm -hmm. and allowing them once again, going back to our, our conversation earlier, allowing them to know their value so that they're able to know the value of their child as well. Yeah. So living among them and being mothers to them and being mothers to their children and then, you know, empowering them 
is what women are called to do, what mothers are called to do. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So many things that I could say in response to that. Amazing. But um, I really love the Marian connection and the connection to the mysteries of her life because it illuminates for me these two aspects that I hear in your responses. First of all, this real strength and presence in the midst of suffering and sorrow that we see in mothers and in spiritual mothers after the image of Mary under the foot of the cross. Like the sisters and all of us are called to be mothers and fathers in one way or another, but the sisters of life in a particular way accompany people who are suffering and in places of difficulty and poverty and and being like Mary, patient presences of love and hope in the midst of that is, I mean, that's not a joke. That is a very tall order. You know, there's something very serious about um, the call to be a presence of of mercy and hope in, in very difficult circumstances. Where do we get, you know, the strength and the image and the example to imitate in that, but, but from Mary at the foot of the cross in her faith as her son, the savior of the world was, was dying. Then also the second aspect of, of spiritual motherhood after the example of Our Lady, which is the littleness of how this actually unfolds in our day-to-day life and how the fact that that littleness is actually not little at all. Um, and this is, for me, what I always come back to in reflecting on the mystery of the Annunciation is Mary was asked to bear God's presence into the world in the most, quote-unquote, ordinary way possible, right? In in her physicality, in serving Elizabeth in her own pregnancy, in these very simple acts of taking care of the Holy Family and teaching and helping Jesus grow. Like this is how she was called to bear Christ into the world. And the same is true of all of us. We're asked to give our daily lives, our thoughts and our words and our relationship with our family members and our work. Like this is the material. This is the substrate that the Holy Spirit chooses to enter the world. And so because of this mystery, because of the mystery of the incarnation and the fact that this continues throughout history, like Nothing of what we do is insignificant anymore. Everything has a connection to the infinite. Everything can be the means through which God continues his act of salvation. Um, Which, of course, like, as soon as we start reflecting on that, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm just overwhelmed by the sense of, like, my poverty. Like, Lord, what? Like, okay, but I'm not Mary. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sinful and limited and so poor. Um... Yeah, so I guess this brings me to back to things that we've talked about about the sisters and about faith in general, which is the the essential place of prayer and the essential place of companionship. Because yeah, faced with the call to be like Mary at the foot of the cross or like Mary in the Annunciation, I mean, what can any of us do but rely on one another and rely on prayer? Yeah, so I don't know if you have any thoughts about that or further words to share about about Mary in this, because I know she's she's been important in your journeys as well. Sophia, I'm so, yeah, it's amazing that you shared um, those two aspects, thinking about the mysteries of the rosary that were particularly close with Cardinal, the littleness of Mary, and then suffering and love uh, for her children and crying out uh, to God in her in her sorrow, knowing that the Lord does not abandon her um, and does not abandon his people. The sisters actually have two emblems on their habits. One is um, a little pendant that has uh, an image of the Madonna of the streets. Mm. If you have the chance to look it up, it's just a lovely meditation um, in and of itself. There's a picture of a woman 
with a child looking up and she um, seems transfixed in prayer. And I'm not sure if the artist intended to depict this as, as Meg, you might know this, this story more than I do. If the woman is Mary um, or yeah. the person on the street or, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's cool to be able to interpret it, you know, how you want to see it, whether it be the woman who's receiving Jesus and that being, you know, the woman and Jesus or that being Mary and a child that was handed to Mary, you know. To, to love. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for helping us think on that. Um, the back of the pendant, it says, uh, there's a line from a poem that was particularly close to the Cardinal written by, I think his name is Father Duffy. And the line is, uh, nothing again would be casual or small. Mm. Because of the incarnation. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's something that's so beautiful about religious life is the way that even the outward visible form of their lives and the way that they dress and it reflects the mystery of, of their call in the world. And, um, and I imagine really facilitates these encounters of mercy and motherhood that we've been talking about. Most of us, however, not called to enter religious life and let alone the sisters of life. So as we're transitioning now to to the end of our episode, um, I'd be really interested to hear from each of you if you have a recommendation of a weekly challenge. We like to give a challenge every episode to our listeners who might be interested in diving a little more deeply into the topic that we've talked about or putting it into practice um, so that these don't remain just words, beautiful words that can pass over us, but really where the rubber hits the road, we can act and allow the Holy Spirit to to lead us in this. You know, something came to mind right away, and it goes off of the last quote that we were talking about, nothing again will be little or small. And that is, Try to make your bed every morning um, and, you know, offer it up for someone, for a person in your life who might need your help. Mm. Offer it up for them and show yourself that you value your own life. That that would be my challenge for everyone. Thank you. Tierney, any thoughts? Yes. Part two of that morning ritual that we can put into place right after you make your bed, maybe even before you get out of bed, is um, repeating the prayer, part of the Shema, so the prayer that the our Jewish friends will, will pray uh, multiple times a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Um, and inserting, instead of Israel, insert your name. Insert your name. Wow. Because the Lord wants you to hear that word. So here, oh, Sophia, Maggie, whoever you may be, the Lord is your God. Allow this to sink in, drink deeply your own identity so that you can ask the Lord in response to his prompting, how do you want me to be in relationship with you? Beautiful. Wow. I love that. I have a new addition for my morning routine. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So the second thing that we like to leave our listeners with is a recommendation of media. This could be a book or a song or a movie. Yeah, sacred or secular because we can find Christ in all places. So is there something that you think really does display or manifest the culture of life that could be helpful for all of us to go and take a look at? Yeah, the book that comes to mind for me, and this is actually something that Tier and I read together, 
interior freedom. Oh, um, it's all about just being stabilized um, interiorly so that everything that's going on around you, you know, stressors that you can be interiorly free. Mm. You know, nothing can touch you because you're grounded in the Lord. Thank you. Jacques Philippe, right? We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yes, Jacques Philippe. Fantastic. Yep, interior freedom. Yeah. Tierney, any thoughts? Um, I would recommend virtually any C.S. Lewis book, mm. fiction or nonfiction. One that comes to is Till We Have Faces and um, seeing how some of the characters will interact with each other is just something that we can meditate on. Or if you have the chance to read the Space Trilogy, the first two books in the series give a beautiful and I think a real depiction of as the world was as we entered the fall and as we have been transformed and transfigured in Christ. So um, yeah, for any fiction fans out there, uh, recommend C.S. Lewis. Thank you. I actually read each of those this past year because he was a fellow at my college in Cambridge. And so I was able to like sit in his armchair in his office where he wrote Till We Have Faces. And I was like, all right, this is... That's incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. But I highly agree. He just has a way with with words and images and metaphor that really sinks into the heart. So yeah, so thank you for that as well. Wow, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been inspiring and just a graced time. I'm so excited to hear what lies in store for you as you continue to discern the Lord's will for you. And I certainly will be praying. I ask all of our podcast listeners to please um, pray for you and for for wisdom and courage. And please pray for us as well, especially, you know, as you make such an act of, of trust and sacrifice and in the hope of what is to come, that all of us might imitate your your freedom in that. Ordinarily, we say if you have any questions for our interviewees that they can pass them through us, but we will not be contacting you with questions after you've entered. Write us a letter. Write us a letter. There you go. (laughs) You can write a letter to uh, the convent in in New York where they have the postulants and maybe you'll get a reply. But anyway, thank you again for joining us. It has been a delight. And to all of our listeners, you can find us again here next week on The Pilgrim Soul. 